How are you all today? I'm a spiritual father. Uh, we don't have any children, but we have a lot of spiritual children. And one of them, Christian, just gave me a spiritual Father's Day gift. These are embarrassing socks. <laughs> embarrassing socks. And uh, I was going to put them on. I turned to Elvis. I said, shall I put them on? And he said, no, absolutely not. So, <laughs> Thank you, Elvis, for being my source of wisdom when I'm clearly lacking it. So I'm going to get these distractions out of the way. Next Sunday, I promise I'll wear my embarrassing socks. So you can come up and have a look. All right. How many of you... Oh, we're starting, um, we're starting a new series today, Life of Jesus. And it's going to take us all the way through into September. So online community, welcome. And you have to stay here in this room till September. Anyway, Life of Jesus series. How many of you, just a quick survey, how many of you have used Ancestry.com? Well, some of you are familiar with the concept, right? You want to know where you came from? You look through Ancestry.com. You find out all the wonderful people in your past. And then you brag about them. And you have this habit of leaving out the embarrassing people in your family history. Like, nobody talks about Uncle Buck, the serial killer. <laughs> you know, no one talks about all the relatives that went to jail. They never tell the truth. We, we, we just get, like, the glowing picture of our one famous... I know this guy in San Francisco. His last name is James. Jesse. Yes, Jesse James. He is a descendant of Jesse James, and he's bragging about it. Never mind. <laughs> you get it. All right. So here's the deal. Jesus has an Ancestry.com account written 2,000 years ago, and... Uh, Two guys set about to do his ancestry. And so we're going to look at that today. And you're thinking, oh, I came to church for this. This is going to be so boring. No, it's not. It's going to be really, really interesting. So let's start talking about Jesus' genealogies. Two writers. And here's the problem. There's two writers writing Jesus' genealogy. And they don't agree. There's a problem. They don't agree. So that means that the Bible should be thrown out. The inerrancy of Scripture is an issue, so let's just scrap the whole thing. And it, right there in the beginning of Jesus' life, it all gets messed up. Why are these two stories different? And how are they different? And what does the difference tell us about Jesus that we need to know. So, Matthew, his story starts with Abraham and Luke's starts with Adam. See, what these guys are not doing is doing an accurate department of vital statistics 
Ancestry.com. They've obviously chosen to start at different places, and we're going to see they, diff they, they feature different people, and they don't deal with the same number of generations, which should cause us to understand that they're not trying to be historically perfectly accurate here. They're trying to tell a story with the particular genealogy that they chose. Does this make sense? So what's the story? What are they trying to say? Because it's important. So Abraham is a starting place for Matthew. Adam's a starting place for Luke. This isn't the only problem. Problem enters in after King David. After King David, Matthew lists 26 generations between David and Jesus. Luke lists 40. My math says it was 14 generations that were left out of one account. Why did he do that? Not only the numbers different, but the names are not all the same. So, some guys included some people, one guy included some people, and another guy included different ones, and it's not the same. So that should get us thinking, too. Like when you brag about your family history, you leave out the bad people. So maybe they were trying to make Jesus look really good by leaving out the bad people, but we find out in a minute, and it's really interesting, they didn't leave out the bad people. There's a whole host of really rotten characters being mentioned. And not all the good ones get mentioned. Is your curiosity piqued? Are you wondering what the heck is going on here and why are these guys doing what they're doing? And it lies in the purpose of the writers. They had two different purposes that they wanted to illustrate about Jesus, which we have to get firmly in our thinking because they're both vitally important. They were focusing on different aspects of Jesus' lineage. Now, Matthew is very concerned to show the kingship of Jesus. Who is Matthew writing to, by the way? He's writing to the Jewish audience. So what he's trying to do is he's trying to convince them from Scripture, Jesus is the Messiah. He's the king. He has, he has a legitimate claim to the Davidic throne. He's in the line of King David. Therefore, he's, he's the Messiah. So that's what he's trying to argue. Who is Luke writing to? Does anyone know who Luke was writing to? A particular Gentile boy, a young man, raised in a Christian home, but from a Gentile tradition, who they weren't worried about Jesus, the Messiah. So he traces, Luke traces Jesus back to Adam. He is emphasizing Jesus' humanity. Isn't that interesting? Matthew is emphasizing Jesus as the Messiah, Emmanuel, God with us, the divinity of Jesus. And Luke is stressing the humanity of Jesus. Isn't that interesting? Because these are the things that we have to hold in tension. And I find, to be honest with you, most Christians are attracted to Jesus as God because that's the great miracle God with us. Emmanuel means God with us. He's come to be with us. He's come to illustrate and make God understandable to us. So, so most of the time we focus on the divinity of Jesus, but that's a tragedy because he's also human. 
And when we understand his humanity, we begin to understand how much he understands us and how much he cares about us and how much he knows what's going on in your life. And he understands the temptations you're going through and he understands the trials you're going through. Two different things. And Jesus is the miracle of God-man. I've said this to you many times, but it's a phrase that came to me once thinking about it, and it means a great deal to me. Jesus is everything God can be in a human. And at the same time, he's everything a human can be in God. He brings together divinity and humanity, and he puts them together in one person who is everything that we need. Both writers chose to emphasize one of the two sides of the miracle that we call Jesus. Was he God? Yes. Here's the proof, his kingship. And all that was prophesied about the Messiah. Was he fully human? Yes. Here is his ancestry right back to the first man, Adam. Two truths, two stories. But here's the question. If these writers were not looking just for vital statistics and they left some ancestors out, then they had, must have had some reason for putting in the ones they mentioned. Why do they mention some and not others? There's got to be a message here for us. Who they left out and who they put in is the message. And we need to figure that out. So let's take a minute and do it. Let's go through some of Jesus' ancestors and take a look at these people. Matthew starts with Abraham. He's a great ancestor. He's a man who believed God for what he said, that he was going to have a son at the age of 100. Serious faith. So he's one of the superstars you want in your ancestry. He receives this miracle child, and his miracle child is a prophetic representation of the birth of Jesus. The impossible there is going to be a birth that is impossible. Old men and old women don't have babies at 100. It's a miracle child. Jesus is the miracle child. And then God promises him this miracle child, and then he tells him to kill him. I was talking to someone the other day that was telling me about someone who's very upset with, with God because God would do something as nasty as telling someone to kill his own child. What kind of sick psychopath tells someone to kill his own child unless you're trying to illustrate your own heart in sacrificing your son for people? Then it makes sense. The willingness of God to let Jesus die for us. God gave up the most precious thing that he had. He has everything else. The cattle on a thousand hills. All of creation. He gave up the one thing. Let go of the one thing that meant everything to him. That's the picture of Abraham. 
The next character we come up with is Jacob. What does Jacob mean? The name has a meaning. What does it mean? He's a deceiver. Jacob the weasel. This is a fitting name for someone who lies and tricks his father to get the older brother's blessing. He was a liar and a cheat. He was a little weasel. But he got what he gave. His father-in-law tricked him into marrying the wrong daughter. Anyone ever made that mistake? Tricked him into marrying the wrong daughter. It cost him seven years, seven years of hard work to get the girl he really loved. The little weasel got tricked by his father-in-law. There's some sickos in Jesus' ancestry. One night an angel appeared to him and they fought. And Jacob would not let him go until the angel, angel blessed him and Jacob clung to God until God blessed him. He wasn't a perfect man, but he had persistence going for him. And Jacob had a son named Judah. He's also one of the ancestors of Jesus, and he had a son named Ur. What's with these names? Why couldn't he have a son named Bob? Why Ur? Ur was a wicked man. He married a girl named Tamar who became Judah's daughter-in-law. God killed Ur because of his wickedness. Tamar went to live with her father-in-law's family as a widow. And after Judah's wife died, Tamar disguised herself as a veiled prostitute, and Judah slept with her, and she became pregnant with a boy named Perez, who is another of Jesus' ancestors. Perez, the child of prostitution, incest, and deceit. Let me say that again. Perez, the child of prostitution, incest, and deceit. One of the named ancestors of Jesus. Another ancestor named Boaz, who was a good man. His mother was Rahab the prostitute of Jericho. She's included too. She was not a Jew. She was an enemy of the Jews. A traitor. So Boaz was the son of a pagan prostitute. And he married a non-Jewish woman named Ruth. Another one. He did this to save her because she was the widow of a relative. He was what they call a kinsman redeemer. Do you have a kinsman redeemer? Have you accepted your kinsman redeemer as your personal redeemer? The one who buys back the lives and property of someone who's lost everything. The one who buys back the lives and property of someone who has lost everything. And has no one to protect them. Have you ever felt like you have no one to protect you? And Ruth had a son for Boaz named Obed, who was the father of Jesse who is the father of King David. Now, finally, here's someone we would expect to be in Jesus' ancestry, the, David, the king, King David, of the greatest period in Israel's history. 
the greatest king Israel ever knew, a great warrior, the man who found a dynasty that God said will go on forever, a man worthy to be the ancestor of Jesus. So let's just take a closer look at David. What do I have to tell you? You already know. Well, he was a shepherd. He was a servant who was abused by the king. He was a criminal and an outlaw. He hid in caves. He ran away a lot. And finally, he became king. Then he lusted after his friend's wife, committed adultery with her, which was, under the circumstances, rape. And when she got pregnant, he became afraid of being find out, found out, so he tried to trick his friend into sleeping with her so he would think the child was his. And when that didn't work because his friend was too faithful to him to do something like that and take his own pleasure rather than be serving his master, he had him killed. If you were watching a Hallmark movie where this guy gets killed for something like that, well, first of all, it wouldn't be a Hallmark movie because it doesn't have a happy ending and some good person dies and in Hallmark movies, all that happens in a Hallmark movie is that a girl from a small town loses her boyfriend from the small town who goes to the city, become a weasel lawyer to make a lot of money. One of the principals of the firm is in love with him and she wants to marry him and he has to go back to the town because his uncle is dying and when he goes back to the town, this absolutely stone-cold fox girlfriend from high school, is still unmarried years later, although she's absolutely amazing, and she's now a veterinarian who works on rodents. <laughs> and they run into each other at the hardware store, and all of a sudden, the camera goes slightly out of focus, and you have little stars in their eyes, and they fall in love with the evil she-devil from the city, knows something is up, so she's up in town to take him back home. And there's a moral conflict between small-town America and big-city living. You know what happens. He's torn. He doesn't know what to do. He's, he's between heaven and hell, the small town, the city. Sweet picture of innocence, she-devil, who happens also to be a lawyer. No coincidence. Confusion, misunderstanding, miscommunication. He can't tell her how much he still loves the girl that fixes rodents. Now, it's all taken place in a vineyard somewhere in Napa, <laughs> which is absolutely stunningly beautiful. It's a Norman Rockwell vineyard. And then all of a sudden, it's snowing. And it's Christmas. The spirit of Christmas has descended on this small town, which makes no sense because just yesterday it was summer. But now it's Christmas in Napa and everything is beautiful in Norman Rockwell. And he's driving to the airport to leave her forever. And partway there he realizes, this is stupid. I've always wanted a girl that cared for rodents. I will go back. And he drives through horizontal snow and sleet. He's almost killed by wild bears. Why? We, know, we don't know. They were there. He finally screeches to a halt in the airport. No, he's going to the airport. He runs back to the hardware store where he first saw her, and there she is waiting patiently. 
starry eyes. Everything's great. Why did I tell you all that? I guess, I, guess, I guess the Bible's not a Hallmark movie, I guess is what I'm driving at. It's not a Hallmark movie. So King David, he kind of combines the worst of all the other guys we've looked at into one person, the way he treats his best friend and his best friend's wife. But he was a great worshiper. He was a great songwriter. He was a deceiver at times and an adulterer and a murderer. And there he is named in Jesus' ancestry. And then there was Jehoram who led Israel into the pagan ways of Ahab and Jezebel. And Ahaz who refused to listen to God's prophet Isaiah who sold the nation into slavery. A man who burned his own son to death as an offering to demon pagan gods. And a man who practiced occult magic. Do you want that guy in your ancestry? Why are they, why are they including these people? This is not making Jesus look good. Hezekiah, who was a good guy, cleaned up the country, turned it back to God. Then Manasseh, another descendant who led them back into idolatry. And Josiah fixed it again and back and forth and back and forth. And the pat pattern just goes on and on and on. What is this saying about Jesus' ancestors? What can we say about Jesus, who is the offspring of adultery, deceit, prostitution, and murder? Well, here's what it has to say to us. The people he chose to come through are amongst the worst types of people the world has ever seen. Others were as good and as godly as the world has ever seen. And here's the point. The same people that Jesus came through are the people he comes to. Isn't that just the best news? Doesn't that just bring some sense of security? At least most of us can say, I haven't killed anyone this week. So I guess Jesus loves me. The people he came through are the same people he comes to. And in some way or another, every one of us is one of them. Who does Jesus identify with? The powerful, the successful, the wise, the beautiful people? No. He identifies with us. Who did he choose to have as his ancestors? The ones Jesus identifies with are the people like us, only mostly worse. And you keep asking yourself the question, can Jesus really love me? Have you ever asked that question? Could Jesus really love me? I ask that question all the time. Will God really love someone like me? Will God really use someone like me? 
And the answer is, is, is in his genealogy. Look who he chose to come through. Do you really think he changed his mind as to what kind of people he chooses to come through to the world today? He's in the using losers business. When he goes looking for someone to lose, he looks first in the re factory reject outlet and the thrift stores. He's a thrift shore shopper. All secondhand goods, all damaged in some way, all rejected by somebody else. Can you get that? That's who he's looking for to use. Can, under, can Jesus understand someone like me? Our God is the Father, God of the poor, the oppressed, the lonely, and the sinner who knows his need to be forgiven. Jesus came right out and said it. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it isn't the healthy who need a doctor. It's the sick. I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call sinners and broken people. These are the people he came to, but they're also the people he comes through. He's using broken people to accomplish his kingdom. Guys, that's us. Broken people accomplishing his kingdom. But he doesn't leave you broken. He came to change you. He came to give you hope. He comes to people like us as we are, and he accepts us, but he offers us hope and the promise to change us. And that's the business that he's in. He's the kinsman redeemer. Everybody, let's close our eyes for a minute. I want you to see yourself in the genealogy of Jesus. I want you to picture a sentence about yourself as if you were named as one of the line of Jesus, what would that sentence say? Would it say, this person's the most wonderful person. They're perfect in every way. They're just, just the kind of person I want to come through. Is that what it would say? Truthfully, what would it say? Now, what does he want to say to you right now about how he sees you 
and why he chose you. Because he chose you, you know. You think you're sitting in this room because you chose him? Well before you chose him, he chose you. He was already active in drawing you to himself before you even knew it. He's chosen you despite what you'd honestly say about your lineage and the genealogy. Despite all that, he's chosen you. What's he want to say to you today? What's he seeing when he looks at you that you're not seeing? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to each one of us about this? Let's have a little worship time. This No, not with music. Let's do worship this way. How many of you heard him say something to you about yourself? Did anybody hear, you, hear him say something to you about yourself? Okay, that's not a very good... It's not enough. Close our eyes again. Holy Spirit, right now, what do you want to say? What do you want to say to each one of us? This is how I see you. This is who you are to me. This is what I see. Holy Spirit, what do you want to say? Okay, how many has hands up if he's shown you something or said something to you? Okay. You don't have to do this, but I think it would be really cool. How about you say wherever you are what he just said to you out loud so everybody in the room can hear it and we have a chance to worship him together. What did he say? Fabulous. Well, thanks, Mary. No one can outdo that. <laughs> Some people get all the good stuff. Okay, who else? What did the Lord say to you? Dylan, what did he say to you? I saw your hand go up. What did he say to you? Nice and loud so people can hear it. 
There's no point if it's not loud enough to hear. Right on. Who else? Did you feel it? Right on. Gary. Loud. Right on. Me too. Who else? Yes, John. You need to speak. Say that again, but loud. Because people can't hear. Amen. Excelente. Who else? Steph. A little louder. Awesome. Who else? Yeah. Yeah, reassuring too. Anybody else? Amen. The other day, he showed me, I mean, I mean this is trite, but he, he, it, it hit home in a deeper way, that when he looks at me, he's not focused on the person that I am right now. He's seeing who I will be in him when it's all said and done. See, how can we, in the same moment, see ourselves honestly for who we are in our brokenness and believe in how much He can love us? It's not logical. It's like, no, I'm a mess. But He said, I'm not looking at who you are. I'm looking at who you're becoming. You're in process. You're becoming something. And he's focused, as an artist is, when 
Michelangelo started carving David out of a block of marble. He was not looking at a block of marble. He was asked one time how he did it, and he said, well, it's easy. You just take away the parts that aren't David. You just take away the parts that aren't what you're seeing. You see, he's seeing the future. He's seeing what you're going to become when he's done with you. He's so pleased with that. He's not caught up in the chunks of marble that have to be cut off. We're all stuck in the moment, unhappy with who we are right now. If we have any conscience whatsoever, if there's any morality in us, we should not be pleased with ourselves. And yet, that's not his focus. I went to see a counselor a number of years ago. And shame has always been a theme in my life since something that happened when I was five years old. And... Um, we keep coming back to it, you know, this incident. And in this counseling process, we came back to it again, and I explained it. And she said, okay, well, let's, let's just um, let the Holy Spirit speak to you about this. And I thought, I've dealt with this four or five or six times. I mean, there's no point in doing this. And she said, no, we'll just, we'll just be in the presence of God and see what happens. And so I closed my eyes. And I had a vision, and I was on top of Mount Soledad, looking out over the Pacific Ocean, phenomenally beautiful. And then in this vision, I sensed the presence of someone standing on my left. And I turned and looked, and it was Jesus. And he wasn't looking at me, he was looking at the ocean. And I looked at him. And I said, what about my shame and what about my sin? And he stretched out his hand and he pointed at the ocean and he said, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life? And I got offended. And I said, you're not taking me seriously. I'm here because of my brokenness, and I'm here because of my shame. Take me seriously. And he pointed at the ocean, and he said, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life? I said, I don't think you understand why I'm here. And I started listing all of my failures. And he turned and he said, you've exaggerated. It's not as bad as that. And I said, well, it's still bad. And he said, well, for that, you have me. And he pointed again. And he said, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? And it just dawned on me in that moment. He is not focused on my failure. He's caught up in something he wants me to see. It was like this weight just lifted.
we become infatuated with our brokenness. And he's infatuated with who he's bringing us to be. He sees the work of art he set out to create, and he's going to create it. If you'll just cooperate, um, cooperate with him even just a little bit, he's well in the process of creating this unique person that he fell in love with before you were born. Right? And he wants to have more moments with you where he points and says, isn't that the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? The moments that he craves with you are the positive ones where he's able to express his love to you despite your brokenness and love you through it to wholeness. That's his purpose. That's what brings him joy. Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. Have you ever wondered what that joy set before him is? It's you. You're the joy set before him. Is this making sense? Okay, close your eyes. I want to pray for you. God, your love is hard to believe. It just doesn't make sense to us. There's no rational reason for it. It just doesn't. It's not like it isn't good news. It's like it's too good. It'd be easier to believe if it wasn't such good news. But Father, that's how you feel about us. Holy Spirit, that's how you feel about us. Jesus, that's how you feel about us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, because it's what you do, that you would make real this love to us. That you would take the Father's heart and you would touch us with it. You would take the love of Jesus so ridiculously given and you would apply it to our hearts, to my heart. So we can begin to see you in a whole new way. that the people you chose to come through are the ones you're coming to and the ones you're going to come through to others. And we're that. Lord, let us believe that and take joy from it. Extravagantly, irrationally, ridiculously loved. worship Jesus together. If you want to stand to your feet. And after we worship, we'll just invite the prayer teams down front and get after it. <laughs> Let's sing this together. I just want. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart, over every heart and every mind. I know there is peace within your presence I speak Jesus 
I just want I just want to speak the name of Jesus every dark addiction till every dark addiction starts to break declaring there is hope and there is freedom I speak Jesus your name is power your name is power your name is healing your name is life break every stronghold shine through the shadows burn like a fire i just want to speak i just want to speak the name of jesus over fear over every soul to every soul held captive by depression come on I speak Jesus your name is power your name is power your name is healing your name is life your name is life break every stronghold shine through the shadows Burn like a fire. Your name is power. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows. Burn like a fire. Shout Jesus. Shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets, Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus, Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name, Jesus. Shout, shout Jesus from the mountains, Jesus in the streets. Jesus in the darkness over every enemy. Jesus for my family, I speak the holy name. Jesus. Your name. Your name is power. Your name is healing. Your name is life. Break every stronghold. Shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. One more time, every voice. Cause your name is power, your name is healing, your name is life. Oh, your name is life. Break every stronghold, shine through the shadows, burn like a fire. Come on, let's lift up a shout of praise in this place. Hallelujah. All right. Well, at this time, I'll invite the prayer teams down. If you need prayer, come on down to the front. We want to pray with you, go after it with you. If not, you can feel free to hang out in the breezeway and 
Be blessed. Thanks for coming. Thanks for joining us online. We hope you have an amazing week. Go and be the salt and light of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everybody.